I'm Jennifer Nicholson, and I'm happy to be here with Greg Canargelidis. Greg is a partner with more than 25 years of experience practicing in the areas of international trade, customs, and commodity tax law. He leads the International Trade and Investment Law Group at Blake Castles and Graydon LLP and is recognized as one of the leading international trade and customs lawyers in Canada and the world. Greg has extensive experience representing clients on global trade and investment matters, export controls, sanctions, export-import licenses, and procurement disputes. Greg has substantial experience in trade remedy matters with a particular emphasis on anti-dumping investigations and appeals. Greg is a noted expert in all areas of customs law. He also assists clients with respects to planning, compliance, and appeals involving GST, excise, and other commodity tax issues. Greg is very active in legal organizations such as co-chair of the Customs Law Committee of the ABA International Law Section, member of the CBA Commodity Tax, Customs and Trade Section, and past chair of the Ontario Bar Association International Law Section. That is a lot of stuff. <laughs> so thanks for being with us today, Greg. Uh, and you're not a CPA. Uh, no, I'm not, but I do have a BCom degree. That okay, helps. <laughs> that definitely helps. <laughs> and you're hanging out with this large group of CPAs here. And I'm looking forward to seeing your session a little bit later. And the, you're going to be talking today on a new NAFTA and trade environment and what does it mean to your business. So let's start off by talking about NAFTA. What is NAFTA? Sure, NAFTA is a, uh, a free trade agreement between uh, Canada, uh, Mexico, and the United States. It actually is, um, it, it, it has been in, in effect since 1994. Prior to that, uh, we did have a bilateral free trade agreement that is just between us and the U.S. Uh, since 1989. But with the introduction of uh, Mexico, this uh, North American free trade agreement, or NAFTA, was created starting from 1994. So it's been around for over 23 years. What it does primarily is uh, it eliminates tariffs on goods traded between the three countries. But it's not just that tariffs are eliminated automatically if goods are traded between the three countries. The goods have to meet certain rules of origin. They have to originate in one of the three countries in order to qualify for the duty-free treatment. So that's where the details are. There's uh, detailed tariff shift rules and regional value content rules in order to determine whether you actually do get the duty-free rate. And in addition to that, there are many sectoral rules that apply to specific industries, trade and services, trade and financial services as well. So uh, there's a, an investor state dispute settlement mechanism where an investor who's been discriminated against can sue the government uh, for damages. And, and that's, been hap that's happened a number of times. And there are, there are other uh, provisions in the NAFTA as well that govern trade uh, between the three countries. Does it apply to all products? It does. It, it, uh, the tariff elimination applies to all products. Then uh, there are uh, some, as I mentioned, specific rules dealing with energy, for example, textiles and apparel. Uh, but basically all, uh, all, of the, uh, all of the goods traded between the three countries are covered. And how do you see NAFTA evolving in the next two to three years? Well, um, during... So that's a big question. There's yes, a lot of changes happening. That's right. During the uh, U.S. Uh, election campaign, when uh, now President Trump was a candidate, he, he was uh, critical, very critical of the NAFTA, and as president called it the worst trade agreement ever, and wow. uh, threatened to, uh, to cancel it, 
and ultimately decided uh, that it should be you know, subject to a renegotiation. Why? Uh, well, he, he primarily it was um, because of Mexico. Mexico has a lowered wage rates and all of the jobs tended to flow down to Mexico. Right. Because, I mean, it doesn't matter which NAFTA country you're in, uh, if the goods uh, originate in the NAFTA region, you can uh, get this duty-free treatment. And it's because Mexico labor rates are so low, the auto companies, for example, decided, well, let's set up assembly plants there. Right, of course, that makes sense. Right, and so uh, it was primarily due to the pressures uh, that from Mexico, or the perceived uh, loss of jobs to Mexico that uh, President Trump was uh, so concerned about. With respect to Canada, when he had discussions with our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he would uh, say, oh, we, we don't have, we have a great relationship with Canada, all we need to do is tweak uh, oh. our relationship. But that has evolved over time because uh, when the farmers in the U.S. started to tell President Trump about our supply management policies and the controls over importation of milk and other dairy products, President Trump started to complain about Canada being so, a bad trader too. So Canada has limits on what they import from the U.S. Is that what the issue was? Uh, absolutely. We have controls over our, we call it supply management rules, over uh, dairy products like milk, cheese, also eggs and poultry. And um, the U.S. doesn't have uh, those rules, but they have something analogous. You know, they have right. subsidies too, but they they uh, they are complaining because um, we do limit uh, importation of those products in order to help our farmers earn a decent living. Of course, which makes sense. So, what is the status now of these these tweaks? Right. Well. <laughs> When the U.S. Trade Representative was finally appointed, there was a, a fair amount of delay because the uh, Congress, the Senate, had to approve him. Uh, Robert Lighthouser is his name, and when he finally got appointed on, on or about May 16th, that was the time that um, the Trump administration gave notice to Congress that they were intending to no, to renegotiate. Now, that has to happen under U.S. law before the renegotiations could begin. And that's a, that started a 90-day period. So actual negotiations commenced on August 16th of this year. There was one round there, uh, you know, August 16th to the 20th. There was a second round in Mexico uh, a few weeks later. And the third round begins uh, in a few days in Ottawa. Interesting. Now, when we think of negotiations, usually there's it's a two-way street, or a, you know, in this case, a three-way street. Is that really what's happening, or is the U.S. essentially deciding how they want things to change? Excellent question. Uh, actually, the, yes, the U.S. through President Trump, they seem to be treating the negotiations as a zero-sum game. Right. We have to win, and you have to lose, which is not how trade negotiations work. No, or any negotiations, of course. Right. To be exactly. successful. So, you know, uh, I know the U.S. is taking certain positions that Mexico and Canada just can't agree with, such as insisting, remember I mentioned there were rules of origin that uh, goods have to meet to get the duty-free treatment, and the U.S. is insisting that those goods have to have a certain amount of U.S. content, not North American content. Oh, wow. So that's not going to be something that's acceptable to the other countries. And so they, all the goods have to have a certain amount of U.S. content? We don't know the details, but certainly I think he's focusing on the auto parts in particular. Right. Uh, and so that would force traders to source from the U.S., right? Because it had to have U.S. content. So that's something that isn't, uh, it goes contrary to the principles of having a free trade agreement in the first place. Of course. 
Trump also, I think, wants to um, eliminate any trade deficit with his trading partners. Well, that doesn't really make sense either because you need imports and exports. Uh, it's not only looking on the export side to show that you're earning a lot of revenue on exports and less than that on imports. So trade deficit really relates to the fact that you want it to be equal, equal amounts of imports and exports or, would, would eliminate the trade deficit. Or to deficit. have a surplus or to have more exports than imports. He wants more exports than yes, imports. Yes, that's right. Uh, and he also wants to, um, you know, uh, to, to have a greater access to, uh, U, uh, to Canadian and Mexican government contracts. But in the U.S., he insists that in order to, uh, to buy, uh, the, the, the American government, in order to buy goods and services, there's a Buy America requirement. So that's, again, uh, right. you know, he wants access to can Canadian government contracts, but he won't let Canadian contractors bid on U.S. contracts because of the Buy America provisions. So it, it's being very one-sided. Absolutely. And so it, it's unclear how, how um, quickly these negotiations will go. I mean, the U.S. would like them completed within this calendar year, which seems pretty impossible. So the U.S. has also withdrawn or is in the process of withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. What does that involve? Right. Well, it will mean increased costs for all businesses in Canada, whether importing goods or exporting uh, goods to the, the U.S. It will mean an increase in costs, and it will mean having to plan for that, and it will mean looking to... Um, adjusting their supply chains, you know, finding other markets for the goods, finding other markets to source raw materials, that sort of thing. Could there be a, a benefit, in, in a sense, to Canadian businesses if it forces more local development of industries that were previously purchased abroad? Uh, it could, sure. It could mean, uh, and, you know, we shouldn't ignore the fact that uh, Canada is about to uh, have the CETA, the, the Comprehensive Economic Trade Agreement with the EU, come into force on September 21st. So uh, we will have a brand new trade agreement in force with the European Union. And uh, so the, the loss of NAFTA may not uh, matter so much in the long term if Canada, Canadian business starts to build more ties with the EU, or for that matter, Asia. We're currently negotiating a trade agreement with China, or taking baby steps toward that. Uh, China, Japan, uh, we already have a free trade agreement with Korea, so it, maybe this will push, the worst case scenario for NAFTA, will push Canadian business to develop broader markets and not rely solely on, on NAFTA as we do now. That sounds like a good thing. It could be. could be a very good thing. So tell us about CETA. I certainly, uh, I used to work in the container shipping industry and there was a lot of buzz about CETA because of the fact that it really does increase the availability of imports right. and exports. Yeah. CETA is, uh, it's, a, it's an exciting agreement. It opens up uh, our market to 500 million consumers wow. in the EU. So it's, it's a huge potential market for uh, Canadian business. Did we not have access to that market before or it just was expensive? Right. We have access to it, but uh, at the duty rates that everyone pays. Uh, whereas under the CETA uh, on September 21st, more than 95% of the tariff lines will become duty-free. Wow. Now again, not automatic. You've got to meet the rules of origin for CETA, but um, that will give an opportunity for Canadian importers to be able to source all these goods on a duty-free basis and also to sell their goods to the EU on a duty-free basis. Now there are certain goods that are going to take seven years before those duties are, are re removed entirely but they, they will be a staged uh, elimination and uh, this will definitely mean uh, 
uh, more trade between our two uh, areas, Canada and the EU. That's excellent. How is Brexit play into all this? Well, yeah, Brexit is is a is an issue because uh, the UK is uh, is a, a place where where a major proportion of Canada's exports currently go to. You know, so the UK as part of the EU. So with uh, with the UK leaving the EU, that uh, leaves a question. Well, what what happens to that trade? And um, Prime Minister May is uh, is in Canada today. In fact, uh, speaking with uh, with our Prime Minister and their Canada and the UK would like to enter into a free trade agreement. The issue is I don't think the UK is able to do that unless and until it leaves the EU. Right. So there's a timing issue there, but certainly I foresee Canada and the UK having a bilateral free trade agreement when the time comes that it leaves the EU, which uh, should happen in a couple of years if everything goes according to schedule. Is there a chance that it's not going to happen? Well, there's a chance that it will happen without uh, a definitive agreement between uh, the UK and the EU because, of course, the EU is saying, sure, you can leave, but pay us what you owe us. Right. And uh, that's the issue right now. They're negotiating the terms of the divorce, so to speak. Yeah. And how do you feel about Brexit? Do you think that's a, a smart move or not? Well, there, there's two sides to that, of course. Uh, uh, the UK never did opt into the euro, so it, it maintained its uh, the, the the pounds. It uh, It is concerned. It's an island nation about all the... the uh, movement of EU citizens, your ability to move uh, around the country. So they were getting an influx of other EU citizens. Uh, and uh, I guess they many in the UK thought that that was uh, too much of a burden. The the other side, though, is uh, with uh, being a member of the EU, there are no customs formalities to be concerned about. Right. Trade is free. But when it's not in the EU, there will be a border to worry about. So that's an added complication. Plus, all of the banks, uh, the financial institutions in the UK will no longer have that automatic access to the rest of the EU. So the UK seems to be, may lose a lot of those financial services headquartered there uh, and, and go to neighboring countries that are part of the EU. It's interesting. I think when people vote for, as it was a very, very tight vote, but 51.9% for, 48.1% against, I, I think people don't necessarily think about the implications of what's going to happen with a change like this. Right. Yeah. It, it was uh, a lot of complicated issues uh, were at play for those who were taking the referendum. It's um, Time will tell uh, if that will all work out. What are some of the other uh, big trade developments that are, are on the radar? So uh, Canada is uh, considering a revised Trans-Pacific Partnership. Although uh, the U.S. is out of it and they're not planning to be part of the TPP, the remaining 11 countries have had a few meetings already about whether they should proceed without the U.S. Now, some modification to the terms is likely going to be required because whatever the countries ended up putting on the table was with the, the idea that the U.S. was involved as well. So some revision will be necessary, but uh, we might see a TPP in future. Canada is also, you know, it's somewhat on the back burner, but Canada has been negotiating with Japan and with India for bilateral free trade agreements, and the Japan one was put on the back burner because Japan is also part of the TPP. TPP. Okay. But uh, so we'll see how things go. If there's no TPP, then 
Canada will pursue the bilateral with Japan. Canada is also considering joining the uh, ASEAN Free Trade Agreement. That is uh, a region of, you know, a bunch of Asian countries that, again, similar to the TPP, Canada wants to get a foothold in the Asian market. So they're looking at that. They're also looking at potentially joining the Pacific Alliance, which is a group of uh, South American countries with which we have free trade, bilateral free trade agreements with anyway, but uh, that will uh, further solidify our market access to the South. Uh, so Canada is pursuing, continuing to pursue other uh, trade opportunities with other countries. What are Canada's biggest exports? Uh, well, Canada has uh, sells a lot. We have a, a thriving aerospace industry, and uh, and of course energy. You know, our petroleum course, yeah. products and so forth. So uh, that's what Canada exports most of. I didn't realize that the aerospace industry was that predominant. Yeah, we've uh, got an excellent aerospace industry, and uh, you know it, it's 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 growing. So it's good for Canada. Now, what is the status of softwood lumber? That is something you certainly hear a lot about in the news. Sure, it's, uh, and, and it's often uh, spoken of in the context of NAFTA. So softwood lumber has been around for decades, and it's really just a, um, an anti-dumping and countervailing duty case. That is, the U.S. Uh, suppliers of softwood lumber are alleging that Canadian suppliers of softwood lumber are uh, selling their product at uh, low prices, lower than they sell in their home market. That's dumping. And, that's, what, and, that's the definition of dumping? Right. Okay. And that the Canadian government is providing subsidies to those suppliers, which, which artificially reduces the price in right. the U.S. market. So it's unfair competition to the U.S. That's the essence of the argument. Is it and, true? Well, I don't think so. Uh, why, why they say that is because in Canada, a lot of the lumber is on public land. So if it's on public land, the government lets you cut the timber, but charges you a stumpage fee, it's called. Okay. And the U.S. is saying that stumpage fee is too low. The government should be charging Canadians a lot more to cut the lumber. Uh, and um, uh, in the U.S., though, lumber is mainly on private land. So we don't have the same kind of issues that at play between the two countries. So the U.S. will raise these complaints. Uh, they, they charge anti-dumping and countervailing duties. And Canada and the U.S. has, uh, has historically entered into a, a settlement agreement. And that expired in 2015. And that's why there's a new round of, of, uh, of cases. So with all these changes that are, are on the table, how is this going to impact uh, Canadian rules and tax laws? It's ever more clear that uh, trade rules do impact the bottom line. I mean, uh, you know, companies can sit back and let things happen or they can be proactive and be part of the process. A CETA is here, but CETA is just an agreement on paper. If uh, companies don't actively pursue the benefits under CETA, if they don't take advantage of what's in the CETA, then they won't improve their business, their, their, their costs won't improve, their profits won't go up. They, they have to look at uh, what's in the CETA that could benefit them and take advantage of what's there. So Canada always likes to say, we negotiate the deal for you, but you've got to act to, to take advantage of, uh, of what we've negotiated. So is there, do you have to apply to receive the benefits or is, is it quite complicated? 
Well, you've got to, in order to claim duty-free treatment, if you're importing or shipping goods, you've got to uh, do your work to see that your goods qualify under right. the rules of origin. Or if they don't, think of ways to make them qualify by changing your supply chain, uh, changing your, your, the, the suppliers, where you produce the goods, that sort of thing. Also, for NAFTA, uh, the rule changes could mean uh, increased costs. And, and so companies might want to consider performing some of the work in the U.S. if they want it to be really conservative and have that more of that U.S. content. So uh, planning should, should start now and, should, and, and companies should be monitoring uh, trade developments to always uh, be on the forefront and take advantage of, of any advantages that, uh, that come to light. They could also be proactive in uh, advising the government uh, of uh, what their concerns and uh, interests are. Because Canadian negotiators, uh, I mean, they, they're looking for input from Canadian business to be able to know what to negotiate on, on behalf of business. So there's so a, like a public consultation type process in, uh, in place? Absolutely. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, companies would, uh, would be well served to, to participate in that process, whether directly or through their professional advisors. So all of these rules seem very complicated. And uh, it, it does seem like it would probably be smart to consult with someone like yourself as to uh, what are the rules in place. Absolutely. We, we've seen instances where uh, companies will import goods only to be surprised uh, by uh, customs coming along and reclassifying the goods into a different tariff classification and then denying the duty-free treatment. Wow. So you get zero jumps up to something like 11 or 18 percent and that's a big surprise to companies because it, it's retroactive four years. Oh my goodness. So try collecting that from customers. You've already sold the goods that you've imported uh, or, or, or have exported and uh, it's really hard to recoup that money uh, unless you successfully challenge the decision that was made. So uh, yes, it is uh, uh, worthwhile to do that planning before uh, embarking on uh, importing or exporting. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Greg. It was very informative. My pleasure. Thank you.